Greetings and salutations. You are listening to the Into the North podcast, where we take a look at the competitive side of the Commander format, also known as CEDH. I am one of your hosts, Reed, aka Sick Robot, and today I'm joined by my co host, Matt, aka Null. What's up, everyone? Morgan, aka Spleenface. How's it going? And our special guest today, Nick, aka Joking. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself, Nick? Hey, everyone. Uh, my name is Joking101, otherwise known as Nicholas or Nick. I'm the uh, executive director of Monarch Events, a uh, nonprofit specialized in running uh, Magic the Gathering events. Awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, we thought we'd have Nick on this episode because uh, we are going to be going a bit in depth this episode on covering event organization slash tournament organization. <laughs> that sounds a lot less interesting than it's going to be. <laughs> I promise. It's, it's going to be wow. very interesting. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> oh my God. Just, I, I can't imagine I just can't imagine our uh, people like going to listen to a podcast about CDH and then tuning in for an in-depth discussion on how to organize online events but I promise it's interesting and it's an integral part of like the CDH community actual actually running so <laughs> joking tell uh, us it's... all about how you structure your sign up spreadsheets oh yeah oh yeah I can't imagine using a spreadsheet to, to handle signups. Those days, are, anyway. those days are past. We've got new tools. Without further ado, we're just going to hop in some some housekeeping and new developments before we get into the main topic. There. Um, first up, housekeeping. We got some new patrons. Uh, Matt, or yeah, Matt, we want to. Sure. Uh, John G. Uh, comedian. Thanks, Ian. And Beard Umbra. Great name, by the way. You rock slash you, you rock. are a mana rock. I wonder. I wonder how how transformative this is gonna have to be when we get the season desist. <laughs> um, It'll erase all of our content off the internet. Yeah, exactly. Um, cool. Uh, so that's our housekeeping. Um, moving on to new developments. Uh, first off, um, I guess I'll cover this one. We have a new database update uh, out um, as of the much teased database. <laughs> yeah, um, unfortunately enough, we did have some issues with the website. Uh, there are some technical issues on the back end that we had to work out for like a couple of weeks or like a week and a half after we had actually finished the update. But it's out, and it will have been out <laughs> for a while as of this being released um so go check it out there's a bunch of new lists that you can go check out of the brewer's corner or some stuff that got moved to the main database page all that good stuff um so yeah just do that um and also don't forget to submit your lists um because the next uh submission period cutoff is going to be on the 5th of december uh if this comes up before then which i hope it does <laughs> um, hope it does yeah Make sure to get your stuff in before then. Um, As a reviewer, so I, I definitely reviewed. know to release this after the 5th of December. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then just shovel yeah. it into the next update. No thanks. <laughs> um, so yeah, Copy do that. Um, we also uh, brought on a new crop of reviewers this time, so hopefully that should speed up things, although we've had a couple of um, a couple of people leave the team as well, so it's more that we're just <laughs> maintaining our list. But um, yeah, we should also be setting up a new application form for new reviewers at some point, either next re uh, this current review cycle, rather, or next review cycle. Um, so if you're interested in that, make sure to go apply and do that stuff. Um, so that's the database update. Uh, next up, we have 
upcoming events. I think there's only one here, um, but we did want to talk about it a bit. Morgan, you want to talk about this? I actually, uh, uh, yeah. I snuck this in on you, so I don't know oh, great. If, uh, if you know anything yeah, go about for it. it. I mean, um, I do know something about yeah, it, but I... by all means, go ahead. Yeah, so uh, the only upcoming event that I know of, at least in the CDH sphere, is the uh, Portugal event. Um, they're running a, a CDH event with a uh, with a cradle on the line for first place, which is pretty crazy. Wow. Not every day you can win a, an entire Gaia's cradle uh, in a CDH event. I think the uh, Senates are filled for it, and I'm not sure which which weekend it is. It might be. I know it's coming up here in December, but it's uh, they've been running a, a bunch of cool events over in Portugal and have been using uh, some of the same tools. I met the uh, the organizer for this event when I was at Tier One, so it was pretty cool seeing them start to grow their community as well. Awesome, yeah, we did. There was a there was a bit of the Portugal scene at a Tier One con, which is great to see. It's always it's always awesome to see. Um, I don't know. We 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 see a lot of like the online events and like U.S. centric events uh, a bunch on like the online CDH sphere, but um, it's easy to forget, and we've seen this a lot that there are like a bunch of great events being run in like Portugal, uh, Japan. I know that there was uh, Russian events being run before COVID happened, and I'm assuming it'll pick up again at some point, um, which is awesome. Uh, I think Brazil has run events before. It's just great to see. Did you know that the biggest CDH event of all time in terms of player attendance was a Brazilian CDH event? I am not surprised. No, but wow. CDH is hot down there. I did actually know that, yeah. yeah um, awesome. Didn't they have like two, over 200 people? Yeah. Or it was almost... Wow. It was like it was like two hundred three or something, and Marqueso was like one eighty. So, they uh, yeah, they're the only CDH event that I know of that ever hit two hundred people. Brazilian CDH scene is strong. I mean, they they already have like they basically have two two super groups um for content creation, right? Like CDH Brazil and uh, Split Second or. Well, Split Before. Second is Portuguese. Oh, is it Portuguese? I thought it was Brazil. Okay, never pretty mind. sure it's Portuguese. Okay, yeah, yeah. In that case, maybe it's just Portuguese language strong. Who knows? <laughs> anyway, exactly. well, isn't uh, isn't CDH TV? Isn't Mons also from Portugal? Uh, no, he's from no. Sweden. Yeah, oh, okay. I don't know I my nationalities. Anyway. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry, Mons, we're gonna we're Brazilian supergroup. We're gonna stop. <laughs> we're gonna stop digging ourselves into holes here. Uh, go check out this event when it happens. Uh, we'll, we'll I'm a, pretty sure I'm crushing it. <laughs> we'll we'll have a link to either we'll have a link to either the Reddit post or if they have a, an actual thing set up, we'll have that in the description. So go check it out. Um, and if they don't post their vods, um, go ping them and ask for them to post vods because it's always great to have more vods for this kind of stuff. Um, aside from that. Uh, only new other new development since the last time we recorded an episode was Crimson Vale coming out. Um, new set. Hey, hey. Um, unfortunately, not a huge number of playables in this one. Um, bit of a small set as well, so, you know, happens. Um, but th there's some fun stuff. There's like a Hullbreaker Horror talks for all. Bit of fun stuff in there. Um, viable frog. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, boy. Gotta get the shots in while he's not here. <laughs> um, did anybody? Okay, that's not fair. I take the shots when he's here. <laughs> right. Um, did anybody go to? I, I know none of us did. Uh, Joking. Did you go to a pre-release event for this? I, so I sure did not. I don't go to pre-release okay. events anymore. I can't play Mana Crypt in them. <laughs> Checks out. I mean, you could have you could have played Mana Crypt at a pre-release event once in the past five years, but. You know, was true. it? It's true. Was it Amonkhet or was it? No, it was. I don't remember if it was Kaladesh or Aether Revolt. I think it's Kaladesh. Oh, sorry. It was, yeah, Kaladesh or Aether Revolt. I think it was Double Masters. 
had 2XM had Mana Crypt. Kind of oh, that too. That yeah, is true. It did. Two yeah. sets. Yeah. I think it was also Ultimate Masters. I don't know if there's pre release for them, but there was definitely some Master sets. I don't think, uh, they, I don't they, think they Master sets have pre releases in the same sure. I think it was just, I think no, it was just but, either Calibre. I mean, LGS has certainly just put them on. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, I I I did want to say that because that is actually something that happened to me at the pre-release that I went to for that Kaladesh set is wow. somebody opened a mana crypt and I had to play against them first round. <laughs> Oof. Um, fun, yeah. I actually won that match because mana crypt just bolted him to death in the third game. Turn one great. mana crypts in <laughs> a twenty format. <laughs> yeah, in draft especially when you're like not actually accelerating anything good out. <laughs> Yeah, especially because you certainly can't build your deck on the yeah. assumption that you're going to have Mana Crypt. Yeah. So you're um, like, ah, I still have to play a bunch of one and two drops, so maybe this Mana Crypt is uh, yeah. not the best. Not great. Um, cool. Yeah, so we're going to get into our main topic now. Again, the topic that we're talking about is event and tournament organization and sort of all the behind-the-scenes stuff um, that goes on around that, because if... The people listening to this don't know, and you should. Uh, Nick, joking, is a very prolific uh, event tournament organizer in the CDH sphere, runs basically every major online CDH event, at least, um, that happens uh, for the most part, or at least a majority of them. So I would say um, that that was true, but some of the stuff that we've seen, honestly, in the past three months, I mean, we've seen like sort of three major CDH events that have, have that's fair. come down outside of my domain, which is, I mean, which is being... really awesome to see. Yeah, that is awesome to see. That being said, so you're I feel like you're slipping. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, we just wanted to get uh, Jordan's thoughts on some of this stuff because it like it's I don't know. We I feel like in the CDH community, one of the main talking points is like the actual like how do we make CDH a tournament format and like the rules and like policy in terms of like the actual like running of tournaments specifically, um, and like. Of course, like, there's all, like, the, you know, like, quarter case ruling stuff that is, like, a point of pride for people. It's, like, get, do you know how this interaction works? Or, like, yeah, <laughs> just, like, there's all those inside jokes. But we don't really get a lot of, um, we don't get a lot of talk about, like, how actually running events goes on behind the scenes. That's not just, like, how do you run the tournament, but also, like, how do you run everything else around there? Like, I mean, for almost all moniker events at this point, like, you're running a stream, you're running the tournament, you're usually running some form of, like, side publicity event or um, some fundraiser to uh, go to charity yeah. as well as running the tournament at the same time, so... It's gotten completely out of control. It's always <laughs> way, it's way too much. So, yeah, it's, I mean, uh... I just, like... But that's, that's what people need to know about, right? So I figured we'd just go through and talk about that a bit. Absolutely, I'd love to. Um... So, you know, how how about we go how about we go from like starting like the inception of an idea of an event to execution. Right. Um so like when you come up with an, an idea for an event, even if it's just like a regular CH tournament, like what steps do you start taking after that to actually like bring it into reality? So, I guess there's two main components here and I'll I'll ask you which one you'd prefer I dive into. Um the first is sort of the infrastructure so the first time you run an event, you need to, to establish a bunch of pieces of information, right? Like the tournament rules or the tournament structure, or if you're going to do a stream or not. And you start asking like some of the more um, nitty gritty policy questions that, that, pre you know, that, that remain essentially the same from each tournament. 
Or would you prefer if I was talking about an event with my infrastructure that's already been set up? So I already have my tournament structures and my, my code of conducts and things like that. How about we how about we quickly go over like um and actually Matt uh, Morgan if you have like a particular preference but I'm feeling like maybe just like touch on what you might need to get set up and then we can sort of go into like how we actually spin up an event um after we have those things. Yeah, I think that at least going over in brief sort of the the logistics is not a bad idea for context and then we can you know when logistics things come up in sort of the more subjective part of the discussion will have the the context we need to like make sense sweet yeah concur one of the first things that i would i would start to speak to um and i think this is one of the more tangibles for uh for tos and things that they start to think about right away is the tournament structure right you need to know how you plan to do how many rounds you want to do you need to you know figure out the systems right we when you look at the Magic Tournament rules, the MTR, right, there's a, there's a framework, there's a, an established system for running a Magic the Gathering event at, at different levels of uh, rules enforcement. There are, there are things about CDH that simply don't fit, right? So, you know, you need more rounds in a Swiss thing than you might for, for a, a, you know, 1v1 format because there's, you know, you, get, you don't play a best of three, you usually play a best of one. And so there are things along those lines that you need to sort of think about and figure out first and foremost. Some of the other things that, that you sort of think about in terms of setup is, you know, finding judges. So the first time that I ran an event, I needed to go find judges who wanted to participate. And then for future events, I can usually call back up the same judges and say, hey, you want to come judge for me again? Um, you know, setting up the code of conduct or the tournament policy. We use the same code of conduct and the same tournament policy for all of our events. But the first time you have to sit down and write those policy documents and you need to get them reviewed. And this is one of the huge values of having a judge working with your event and that's i think the first piece of advice i would give to any person who's looking to run a tournament find uh ideally a level two but you know a level one an experience level one if you can um to sit down and and walk you through it because there are things that you know tournament organizers like to think about the cdh section of it but they'll often neglect to pay attention to the established traditional you know 60 card sets of rules that exist and that that work very very well for large-scale events so those yeah, are some of the I, things that I start to think about. I feel like that's actually something that like people really don't think about enough in terms of like running specifically CDH events where I in even like running an FNM tournament um is relatively easy because you have a lot of resources to pull on in terms of like what do one even one events look like? Um you can like basically even just like run an FNM um like very easily in terms of structure and then policy is just like copied from store policy or you can copy it from um like examples um that other people have run or just like basic mtr stuff whereas in cdh there's like a lot of stuff that's not covered by that and you sort of have to build from the ground up um in terms of a lot of the policy especially around like more multiplayer focused like social aspects of the game right i feel like is that like I feel like that's a big thing that you have to sort of get down to paper is like how you deal with specific interpersonal situations inside of a game because it also gets a lot more complicated when it's not 1v1, right? Absolutely. I mean, the some of the some of the things that you have to deal with with players, um, you know, 
we here's an interesting trend actually you you may notice if you go to a standard 60 card event players call judges all the time you can do a, a four player event players almost never call judges and I, and I pose the question to you, why do you hmm. think that is, right? Like, why, why do you think there's such a dichotomy there? I mean, in theory, it should be the same format. There's, there's more complicated rules interactions. But what is it about <laughs> sitting at a, pl a table with four players that, that re removes or reduces a player's desire to call a judge? I mean, there's already two other people there to, to chime in, I guess. I, I also think that, like, it becomes... It becomes much harder to be confident that you can convince a judge right like when there's two adversarial perspectives you know you're calling a judge my opponent did xyz you know they say no i didn't you have whatever evidence you have to establish it but then when you have two other people in the pod it's like well are they just gonna contradict me or are they gonna like like you know i don't know i don't understand their perspective on this interaction necessarily and so like it makes me a little bit uncomfortable to like call a judge and potentially be relying on them to back me up when like i don't know that that's what's going to happen could at least be a, a factor yeah. <laughs> i think also unfortunately enough um completely outside of the context of it being like a four-person format or whatever or that like that effect that like might be had on calling judges i feel like a lot of the people that participate in cdh tournaments also just aren't used to tournament structure slash like regular tournament <laughs> procedure in terms of like how how easy it is to call a judge slash like how often you should be calling a judge like i i just i feel like a lot of the people that are participating in cdh events might not have much if any experience in 1v1 events especially like larger 1v1 events like a you know, like a PTQ or a GP. <laughs> I think that's that's I, that's my best guess. I'm confident that there's some component of like, you know, if I call a judge, I'm going to anger the people at my table and now they're not going to like be as favorable to me throughout the rest of the game. But I think mm. it's more that the primary audience for people who play CDH are people who play EDH, not tournament grinders. I mean, we have tournament grinders, but like, you know, I'm much more competitive in CDH than I ever was when I played 60 card. I don't know if that's the same for you guys. Uh, to, to an extent. Like, I, I, yeah. I've gone to a, a GP and, like, played in the main event and stuff like that, but certainly <laughs> I've played a lot more, a lot more entry feed, pri like, meaningful prized events uh, in CDH than I have in, in 60 card formats. And I mean, certainly exactly. a lot of my... Yeah, same. A lot, a lot of my... Uh, I'd say a lot of more, a lot more of my successes in CH rather than one v one tournaments. I I yeah, wouldn't say I'm like any... I would I would consider myself not a confident like player in like limited formats or one v one formats, but I'm certainly much better results wise at CDH. So I mean, for individual prize payouts, you're definitely on the oh, list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we need an yeah, esports earning website to just track yeah, all the CDH what? wins. Right? When's that? When's that coming out, guys? Yeah, exactly. A companion so, to the uh, the deck list, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, continue. <laughs> but that's those are the types of things that I have to consider, right? That I'm that I'm looking at ahead of an event, and every TO has to sort of think about and starts to want to think about, right? Like a lot of people, a lot of the TOs I talk to. And, and even not necessarily just TOs, but, but players who enjoy 
playing competitively will will ask questions related to some of those weird intangibles of multiplayer, like the king making or the spike play. Once you have a general policy for all those things and you sort of built out your structure or your, your procedure guide, whatever it may be, then you mostly don't think about it, right? I haven't updated my code of conduct or my tournament policy since March, and I've run four or five events since then. Fortunately, the, the policy was strong enough that we didn't really have to change much. And, you know, the individual event details change from event to event. But the I first don't know, thing but you I saw to... someone in a YouTube comment section somewhere thought that you did a terrible job. So maybe you do need to <laughs> <laughs> ever think of that. I, 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 accept, I accept the YouTube comment feedback, but I need it to be precise, you know? I... I I, I've got a relatively thick skin for this kind of stuff. I mean, you kind of have to be um, when you're when you're forward facing and player facing in many of these ways. If you uh, take personal offense to receiving criticisms or feedback about your event, you should not be in the business of running an event. I'll tell you right now, it's uh, <laughs> some of the feedback you get is pretty brutal, but it's mostly out of a. You just have to remember it's out of a place of love and a place of passion, right? People just want the best event. And or they want to win. One of the two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know. one of the two. <laughs> I mean, you can want to win and want, you know, a be the best type of event that you can get. So, With, uh, and, yeah. you, with the uh, general sort of setup ahead out of the way, um, that's when I start, you know, looking at the, an event itself, right? So we're, we're between Monarchies between events right now. We finished up Oktoberfest last month. I'm taking a bit of a, a personal break off after I do for basically every event. Um, I have a, a list here from the summer. It was a pretty pretty busy summer for me with, with some of the stuff I was doing. And something I would offer to TOs as well if you're looking at running an event is keeping in mind you know, where your time goes and, and be cautious about burnout. I, I, I do my best to, to present pretty awesome events, but it does take a fair bit of time and, and oftentimes you can run yourself into the ground if you're not careful so i i feel like uh a part of that as well that like probably doesn't get talked about that much is that especially when you're running like larger scale events um when you start getting like upwards of 100 entrants um which obviously like not a lot of tournaments do even at this point but um even like i guess even like once you get above like at like 64 entrants at a certain point um you really have to start learning to like delegate tasks, I feel like, because it can be really easy going from like a small, um, like TOing smaller events, um, especially like if you like say you have experience running FMs or you have experience running like just, um, random like one day weekend events, um, at an LGS or even online, um, with like a relatively small number of entrants. It can be really easy to like just think that you can take on a larger event just by like scaling up a bit of your workload plus like bring other people on but you really have to be able to actually i feel like delegate that work to other people slash be comfortable bringing other people on to help out i don't know if that absolutely. lines up with your experience but yeah no, absolutely a hundred percent um the reality is that a tournament organizing position right running an event is essentially management um, you know, event management, people management, project management, it's all sort of blends together when you're running a big scale event. When you start talking about all these side things, right, the, for, for, you know, we can use Marques as an example. We brought on, you know, seven different groups of content creators and we, you know, had a partnership with Alter Sleeves and we had a side event going on with auctions and, you know, a 
a vendor stand and we had the CDH main event and we had the stream and when all these things start compiling on, unless your full-time job is running that event, you don't have enough time in the day. If you have any amount of semblance of other responsibilities in your life, it, it very, very quickly will get out of hand. I mean, there's, there's periods of time where I, I would expect to be in one to three meetings per day every day for, for you know the two or three weeks leading up into the event. And these are like 30 to 60-minute meetings. Part of that is a function of my managerial style. You know, part of that is a function of the way that I like to do work and coordinate and interact with different people. But it's absolutely something where, you know, unless, like I said, unless, unless that's what you do each and every single day, you need to be comfortable delegating and spreading out some of that responsibility because the amount of stuff you have to do will, will quickly, quickly climb and, and in ways you don't even necessarily anticipate. So actually, in terms of that, I'm actually interested um, in what you sort of have to say on this specifically is um, when you do have to start, like, bring more people on to handle different aspects of a tournament, what, are, what would you say are, like, the key, um, not, maybe not positions, but, like, the key, like, subparts or, like, parts of a um, tournament or event that you need to, like, split out to have... Um, like different people manage if, if you do have that kind of thing or if you're just thinking yeah. of it on the spot yeah can I actually tack on a little bit to that question because I have a similar question yeah go for <laughs> but, it but uh, do you derive from kind of a common set of people and then what's common among those people that you find uh, them to be good could you uh, give me that question rephrased sure um, so you um, have a certain set of people you need to recruit um, that fill certain roles are there people that you find are good that you generally recruit from multiple events or do you kind of just whoever's available for the next one gotcha okay so to sort of go with what you were saying there reed absolutely um you know there's there's uh if i if i can i can give you a, a pretty tangible list off the top of my head of the number one number two number three priority for for any given event and to sort of chime in on what you're talking about there matt absolutely there are people that i Essentially, once I have somebody that I know does the, the thing the way I need it to be done or has the experience of working with me, I am very, very inclined to just keep bringing them back event after event. When you find good people, and it's very, very hard to do so, but when you find good people, you, it would be very foolish to let them go. So that's, it's definitely a matter of like, I, I try to find the, the very best people that will do whatever it is that I need done and, and bring them aboard and, and level them up to the best of my ability. I did something like 20 interviews ahead of uh, Summer Bloom to figure out finding some TOs and getting people involved and picking different stuff. And I only ended up bringing aboard like, you know, five or six of them for various different things. Some of those were casters, some of those were TOs and that kind of stuff. But like, you, you know, I do lots of interviews and yeah, that's 20 hours of my life that I just spent doing interviews, 14 hours of which were essentially a waste of my time in the, in the sense that I didn't bring them aboard, but it's good to see what options exist and who's interested in being involved. To give you that list of the number one, number two priority for people, uh, judge number one. So I, I, cannot, I cannot say it enough. Head yeah. judge number one. That is your, no, the, 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 the dynamic duo. If, there, if, you, if you had to pick two people for an event, your head tournament organizer and your head judge are are essentially the backbone of the event itself. 
the way that I have set up my events, and it, I certainly am not going to proclaim that it is the best way. I, I, we haven't seen enough events for that to be true. But the way that I do my events is the tournament organizer is responsible for doing like tournament stuff, logistical stuff, backend stuff. But the judges are the first and foremost player interaction. You know, those are the ones who actually interact with the players. Those are the ones who take calls. Those are the ones who answer questions. You get your judges up to speed, make sure they know and master the policy that you have set up. You enable them and set them up for success, and then you do not pay any attention to them all event. And I don't mean that in like you're not interacting and talking with the head judge, but I mean you want your judges to be wholly independent. Do not make them rely on you. Champion your judges. Champion them to you know, succeed and to thrive and, and to grow and to be independent during the event. And if you have a really experienced L2 and a couple of L1s, it'll be a great opportunity for them to, to take on those responsibilities. Something that I see for a lot of TOs is they have their fingers in every pie, and that's fine until it gets too big for you to do that. And one of the easiest ways to get things off of your plate during an event is give those responsibilities to your judges. They are, they, most of them, uh, you know, L1s and L2s are trained by wizards, essentially, by the Judge Academy to do that stuff. And if they're strong, that's that's the way you want to do it. I have a lot of I've seen a lot of people who are judges who want to run events as well, and I I do strongly advise against it. Either be a judge or be a tournament organizer, but generally you do not want to cross those lines. After judges, um, in terms of people that I recruit, as the as it scales, of course, if you have a stream, you need a stream manager. You need somebody who's going to champion interactions with the casters, with the recruiting, with the scheduling. Um, a stream manager role is, is a job in and of itself on the day of an event. If you do not have one person dedicated to doing all of the stream stuff on the event, you are going to be spread too thin. Um, so actually, I would also add, I, I, I would ask for that. Um, would you say like a stream manager um, for like an event, say, uh, I, don't, I don't know what like a recent mid-sized event that you did was like not something like hyper massive and intensive, but um for like a relatively mid-sized event, would the stream manager also be the person running the stream? Or would you have like a stream manager and then a stream runner and then like commentators and the stream manager would handle all of those people? Right. Okay. Good question. So it's typically casters only job is to cast. Um, there are situations where that's not true, but ca generally casters, their job is to be on camera. Um, at minimum, you need the person who is running the stream, right? OBS, yes, Twitch, the person who actually has OBS that. up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, there's, there's always that person. Um, that person is, one, it's very hard to find people who are good at that. And two, it's a very tough job because you are on the whole time. Like, most of the time, you know, the stream is running its own and you're not, like, you know, focused on it. So you can, like, you know, do something on the side or shuffle magic cards or talk with people. But you're never off the stream. You always have to do it. With that in mind, I recommend having somebody else who handles the logistics of, you know, if you have different sets of casters, you need somebody who tells those casters that they're done and bring somebody else on. Or if you have, you know, you need to send information to the casters, let them know that there's going to be a cut to top 64 or something is changing. Somebody, you know, somebody who gets the deck lists for the casters. We typically had, for our, for our larger events, where the, the, the stream manager was more busy with you know, the little things like transitions or, you know, screen cuts and card bringing up cards during the, uh, during the stream if they came up. 
we had that split into two roles. You could probably do it with one, but you're going to sacrifice a little bit in terms of quality and uh, in terms of their mental health because it's right. <laughs> you're, you're, it's a long day, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's ideally, you know, I want. And, and the funny thing is about this too is that we're talking about this in terms of the day of the event, but you also have to think about the three months that go into it. You know, you you start talking to the content creators, you know, months in advance. Oh yeah. You know, I I mean, I I I, I mean, we'll t I'm assuming at some point today we'll be talking about Marquesa 2022. I've already reached out to to a couple of you guys about whether or not you could be involved in an event that I'm running, you know, four and a half months from now, hypothetically, right? If I were yeah. to run an event four and a half months from now. That, that's the timeline you have to be talking about. And so being conscientious of how long the timeline takes and having somebody like a stream manager dedicated to running and handling those, those content creation roles or those you know, guest roles, that stuff takes a lot of time to do. So that's, that's another piece to think about as well. It's not just that you have somebody who needs to show up for 12 hours and run a stream. Ideally, you have somebody who shows up every single week for a couple hours to help you plan out what the stream will look like for months in advance. Yeah, like figuring out, I'm assuming stuff like figuring out schedule, um, figuring out like even just like, I'm assuming like assets, like transitions, overlays, that kind of stuff. The actual yep. like visual, visual style of the stream, um, like what your caster schedule looks like, all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. There's a lot of stuff that goes into that. And frankly, I actually am not, I, I'm not that... I'm not able to speak in much depth to it because I've been delegating it the whole time I've been doing it. Frankly, I hate I hate doing <laughs> the stream stuff. It's a mark of a good deal, right? Just delegation. <laughs> yeah, it's not my it's not it's neither my area of expertise nor my passion. So I've been, you know, for Marquesa, I had very little to do with it, and I I really tried to help you know my stream manager Mike take take on a lot of that responsibility, and so he was interfacing with most of the casters and helping plan out the schedules. Something else with, you know, guest casters and in the online world is you need to check out that people have good setups. You know, when you talk about a stream, video quality is important, but audio quality is way more important. People can watch a bad video with good audio, but very, very few people will want to watch a good video with bad audio. <laughs> Something that we know oh so well. God, <laughs> if you if you went if you went back and read the uh, like the Reddit comments on our pilot <laughs> for audio quality, it's just like absolutely a shit show. <laughs> I cannot listen to this. Yeah. Oh. oh, good to know. <laughs> yeah, audio quality is very important. So those are some of the things in terms of uh, stream. If you do a stream, add all that stuff in. The other the other thing that happens is these side events. Um, Josh from the Marketplace has championed the uh, side events for both Marques and Oktoberfest. So a lot of the auctions, a lot of the, well, basically all of the auctions and basically all of the vendors have been coordinated through his, through the, through the Marketplace and, and what Josh does over there. So, I mean, for me, it's, it's really nice. The first one, I was a bit unsure because I hadn't worked with Josh before. And once I sort of said, yeah, man, you know, you take this a lead, just let me know what you need. He knocked it out of the park. And so. That's been another thing where it's been really nice for me to help delegate because that's another, you know, between 10 and 20 hours leading into an event to coordinate everything that's going on with those. So if you're really what you want to think about is for each major segment, you need somebody to champion it and to be the manager. And as a head TO, you want to be looking at everything. Uh, you know, you want to, you always want to have some amount of your involvement in each thing. You need to know what is going on, but you don't want to be doing the nitty gritty. You just don't have the time for it. Great. Um, 
Yeah, so I mean, I I feel like that's a actually pretty great overview of like the like the core like verticals I'd say of running an event, especially a CDH event at this point. Um, mm -hmm. I sort of wanted to get in now to sort of like the run up to an event, like the actual day itself, and right. all the stuff that needs figuring out before then. Um, I I'm looking at if you can see on the <laughs> on the uh the show notes yeah. sort of these categories here um so yeah we're, we're sort of like looking at stuff like um you want to be able to uh market it make sure people actually show up to the event like i guess it actually like how you would handle signups too is sort of in in this uh category um like how you bring on um content creators how you reach out to um that kind of stuff and then also like how you actually fund an event <laughs> i guess Oh God! Funny. Yeah. That's, oh man. That's the bane of that's the bane of my existence is the fact that I don't have an infinite amount of money. Like, I, do you know how Asking many problems I can solve? Money. If I had like like a hundred thousand more dollars, like my events would be great. You know. But okay, so so let's 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 break this down because that, that's a lot to knock out all at once. So so let, let's go sort of a bit um more uh piece by piece for this. So let, let's start with marketing. Sure. So like. How, what's your experience been with like marketing? What, what, I guess, what have you found that like, well, maybe let's run through the process first and then you can sort of like maybe talk a bit more about like what you have found works, what you found doesn't work. Sure. So the first piece that I want to sort of put into your brains is that I work off of essentially a, you know, a project management chart. There's a, there's a spreadsheet that I have that has every single day between, you know, now and whenever my event is going to be and before i even embark on one of these things i build out my timeline this is when i want to have my first round of marketing and promotion out this is when i want my second round of marketing and promotion this is my final round of marketing this is this deadline this is this deadline this is this deadline it's really really important when you start talking about marketing to keep in mind um people's reception to marketing i'll tell you out of the gate i so I have a, a business degree. I took marketing in university. It's not, not only is it not my favorite, I think it might be my second least favorite, second only to accounting in terms of the classes that I hated <laughs> taking the most. I, I, I really hate marketing. <laughs> With that said, um, you know, you need to understand the, the, the amount of receptiveness. People don't want to be bombarded by something. But at the same time, you need to do it with a frequency that people will be able to see. In terms of marketing, the first impression is typically the most important. I mean, this is, some of this stuff is, is basic marketing, but it, it, it can be valuable to, to reiterate. If you don't put your best foot forward the first time somebody sees a piece of promotion or a piece of uh, whatever, you know, whatever interest or project it is, they will disregard or not look at the following ones in the same light. So it's almost important. It's almost the most important that your first piece of marketing, which is, you know, between three and four weeks out from the event, um, is very, very well done because people will look at that. And if they see one two weeks out from the event, they might be like, well, I didn't really care the first time. Why would I care now? What do you think is generally like a particular aspect of marketing that makes a first impression? Uh really hit professionalism and it's like kind of a cop-out because it's like well obviously but it i mean sincerely 
that's that's when people when and and this is more applicable to paper than it is to online when people are paying money for something they want an expectation right? they, they they set up an expectation in their mind of of what they are getting in return and if you you know you need to buy not necessarily buy but you need to earn trust um if you don't have a reputation right if you're new or fresh and you know people have never heard of you you want the first impression to be this is an event that is going to be so great that i don't want to miss it 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 needs to be presented in a way that it's like you know these aren't just you know two kids who want to have a good time throwing together a a a bash at the lgs like you absolutely do that if you want 16 people but if you're trying to pull in you know 64 or 100 right if you you want to set records or or push the boundary of what is possible you need to come across as having all of your shit together from square one yeah i i certainly got that impression with tier one and that made me fly you know across the globe so <laughs> yeah and that's the difference. it can definitely it can be very compelling the the great thing about tier one for me was that i didn't have to do very much marketing um they had a lot of you know internal stuff and business stuff that they already had to do i did some you know reddit posts and discord posts and stuff like that but if you don't have you know i'm in a position now where for the most part i like to think that if i put my name on something that people understand what the quality is going to be but i had to work towards that and you know it's you know you always have to battle the what's what is the impression what is the general impression of the events there's, you know, I, I follow, and you can, you can think about this in terms of other sports, right? If somebody hosts a, an eSport event, right? Let's say League of Legends or something. I don't know. Somebody runs a League of Legends event and the computers don't work properly and the players are dealing with tons of delays and the stream quality is super poor. That's it. You're, you're toast. You're done. I mean, there's like two documentaries on the fire thing and that's like a big event that <laughs> was supposed to happen and uh. then broke apart, right? Like, it's it's very easy to irrecre you know irrevocably tarnish your name with a bad event. You know, I'm just I I'm just waiting for the CDH equivalent of the Firefest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dude, I'm ready. Just flying out a bunch of content creators and random people to a desert island somewhere to play a CDH event. <laughs> just leaving them there. Uh, um But, but that's the I, thing, right? Like Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, okay. No, 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 that's fine. Um, I thought I lost internet there. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so I was I was actually going to um, ask, though. So, like, I'm assuming then all of this in mind that sort of, like, brand recognition slash brand awareness slash just building your brand as a TO or whatever organization you're TOing under is, like, a, a super core part of, like, running multiple successful events. You can... I, I'm assuming you can probably run one uh successful event at least just like blind bringing in people but it probably gets harder after that point if people like have a tarnished idea of what your your personal brand or your whatever brand looks like yeah i think also we're in a world right now that there's there's two weird competing things here in terms of marketing and getting people to attend your events right there's in the online in the online space you're competing with people's time so f to give you an example marquesa was very very easy to get people to come to because it was a year into a pandemic 
Things people are still at home. Things aren't really opening up. Vaccines aren't really available. Spending a Saturday playing playing magic on the internet? Totally doable. That's something that you could realistically do. For Oktoberfest, I'm competing with people who are out playing magic in person. That's a much, much harder sell. And especially as we look into the future with people running paper more and more paper events with vaccines and travel, tier one obviously had to face a bunch of challenges in terms of getting people to come to Europe. And frankly, I'm I am impressed and astounded that they were able to do as much as they did. Now, they they definitely did solve some problems with money, which is not a, an opportunity that, <laughs> yeah, that we don't not have available to really us. Really a sustainable business practice, unfortunately. But <laughs> on the other yeah. hand. And and to be fair, you know, they did they did sell a lot of magic cards that weekend. But you know, with all of that said, you have to keep in mind some of those logistics. It's much harder to get people to spend their time online if they have the alternative of paper. Mm-hmm. And it's much harder to compel people to travel right now just due to concerns about, you know, various concerns about COVID and vaccination, especially if it's international. So there's these two, these two components that you have to be thinking about when you run your event. Um, you don't want to run an event at the same time as someone else, which is fortunately not been too much of a problem because we haven't had too many events. But the, uh, the June, July, August of this year was absolutely jam-packed with events. Oh, yeah. Like, I've never... It's, it was crazy. I, yeah, we, so I mean, we had, a, we had a stretch there where, like, every weekend there was, like, a fairly major tournament happening. Yeah. It was... Sort of crazy. And it was absolutely crazy. Yeah, Reed only got to be reigning champion for like a week or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. We didn't, we even, get, we didn't even get back from Europe, but it's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. tier one con's old news. Yeah. It was already, the, yeah, yeah, I think like we, we like came back from Europe and I think it was like the, was it the playing with power sub tournament had already happened? Yeah. Yeah. yeah the <laughs> just like, which I also ran. Yeah, literally the, the next event. weekend. Yeah. Wait, what? I, yeah, yeah, wait, I Matt, you didn't know Wednesday that? Yeah. And ran no. another yeah. event on Saturday. <laughs> Nick's psychotic. Yeah. I thought we were <laughs> So, yeah. You set if, the schedule, and it all works. If that, if that wasn't something that we made abundantly clear at the start of this episode, Nick is, like, a, such an abnormality in terms of the, inc- like, insane amount of work that <laughs> he subjects himself to running tournaments on a regular it's, basis. It's <laughs> Yeah, I feel like he... You said, you know, we have some tournament grinders. I feel like you're the real tournament grinder. <laughs> I'm a TO grinder. It's a different it's a different domain. I don't I don't get to play as much magic. That's the problem. So I okay. I I actually I, I realized that I've been building up questions which are really bad. I should have been asking these at the time, but we'll get through a couple of these right now. So I also go on tangents, so yeah, no, 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 it's, no, it's not totally a fine. <laughs> it's it's my fault as a host that I'm not getting in and trying to get information out when I when I need it. Um, so first of all, I actually wanted to ask. Um, with all that in mind, in terms of marketing and draw and like actually getting signups happening, um, I actually wanted to ask how much of an impact do you think that prize support actually has on that? Because I've heard differing opinions, and it seems like you can get relatively, um, like successfully like relatively successfully large events without a huge amount of surprise support. But it also is like, we've also seen a couple of tournaments like throw a ton of, of prize supports and also get fairly large numbers. So like, I'm sort of wondering what your opinion on that slash what your experience with that has been. So there's, there's this concept in marketing called market segmentation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, target market, you basically look at different groups of people. 
when you talk about prize support, what you're, what you're doing is you're essentially trying to appeal to the people who like to see headlines. You know, there's, there's, a sub, there's a segment of our population who do not particularly want to read a breakdown, you know, Reddit post about an event. But if they see, you know, $10,000 event, that's enough for them for it to register, for them to lock in, and to be like, oh, that's an event that I'm either interested in following, interested in going to, or at least this is a piece of information that I'm going to file away in my brain. So for those people, having a number, a big number that you can throw on the line just spreads in a way that is, that is really nice, frankly. Um, you know, you, 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 if, some, if I'm going to tell somebody about this event that's going on, I'd love to say, oh, yeah, somebody such and such ran a 5K, right? Think about how big a prize that is. Da, 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 da. You know, you talk to your friends. It can build up sort of authentic hype in the community with, with just a big number. With that said, something that I've found when I talk to more of the enfranchised grinders is that prize support is almost entirely irrelevant in terms of them showing up to an event. So this was something that I, that I learned about when I was talking with, I think it may have been Rebel, actually. I was talking with Rebel about it, and she said, essentially, I don't care how much money there is on the line. I want the glory. Make an <laughs> event that... that I can brag about winning. And so there's this other group of people that you need to talk to, talk to and think about in terms of, you know, it doesn't matter how big of a money it is you put on the line if the games themselves aren't fun or the event mm. experience itself is not fun. So it absolutely helps. I, I think it absolutely does, uh, especially in getting into the ears of people who don't know much about it. Um, it, it adds a, it, you know, a big number lends a, a level of legitimacy. You know, somebody's willing to put up this much money for it. Surely it's worth some, you know, it's worth my time or at least worth my attention. Right. But that's not going to necessarily get you the people who are here to win. Right. So like it's, yeah, I mean, yeah, go for it. Oh, I was just going to say, certainly like, it's nice to, you know, have prize support for events, but that's. I'm certainly in the camp of I don't attend them for the prize support. Um, and also, like, I've actually expressed in a few different... Despite having actually won, you know, some of the more disproportionate prizes, um, I'm actually a fan of slightly more... Sometimes smaller, but just more distributed uh, prize yeah. payouts. Like, I, you know, it's not like, oh, I, I really want to win the the super fancy card or whatever it's like like i would prefer a lot of events if they prize down to like top 16 or top 13 or whatever their cutoff is or things like that just smaller amounts obviously like it gets tricky particularly with the online events because um cash is just kind of a bit of a rough yeah. sort yeah. of commodity to handle yeah. yeah um but uh but like that's that would actually be my preference yeah, so I mean, if you go, if you want, I can I can talk money and events for you. It's uh, it's a bit of a topic. Oh, sh sure, yeah. no, I but I just meant like in terms of the motivations for me personally yeah, attending yeah. tournaments is not. Oh, I really want to win the plateau. Like I'm, mm -hmm. you know, I'm happy that I yeah. won the plateau <laughs> it's because you already have the plateau. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so yeah, it, it's interesting that yeah, it seems like. Um, like a big prize sport number is more about bringing in people who aren't necessarily interested otherwise, rather than 
like maintaining the core group that like you're gonna bring yeah. to most tournaments. Like I like I guess it's more about uh like the core group of either tournament grinders or just people that regularly attend tournaments are more interested in like how how smoothly the event is run and what your reputation is like rather than the actual prizing. Whereas like new people coming in, prizing seems to be like a relative like it, it seems to be like a good hook. It's it's exactly that. It's a hook. I don't think I don't think you can in some ex- to some extent you can rely on a big you know tier one definitely had people who showed up because they saw ten dual lands I want to be there I'd love a chance to win a dual land or multiple um, or the the teased possibility of a time twist yeah that too <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely that's, helped yeah like that's that's awesome those are you can p- get people with that for sure but it is not the only thing that matters you can't you can't rely on that as your only method of marketing and only method of promotion. There's, mm-hmm. there's more to it than that. But yeah, I mean, if you were offering early, if you want to talk money, we can talk money. <laughs> I think, I think it'd be really interesting. Cause I like, I don't know. It's like, yeah. it seems like funding of tournaments isn't something that really gets brought up a whole lot, especially in sort of the era that we're in right now, where I feel like we're like right in the midst currently of transitioning out of like small community run events that are like basically all pre- passion project from whichever TO running with, like, donation pot, like, prizes that, like, we saw a lot of those, um, like, two, three years ago, um, to the point now where we're sort of in an in-between area with, like, sort of, like, semi-professionally run events. I'm not calling the execution semi-professionally run, but I'm saying, like, um, it's nobody's full-time job job. to run these events, right? Um, Yeah. For the most part. So, yeah. Well, yeah, tier one, sure. But for basically everybody else that I know of, uh, not quite. Um, I mean, assuming you don't count my labor, right? Let's assume that my labor and my time is free. <laughs> yeah, I have we'll, lost... we'll just assume that there's, there's somebody <laughs> yeah. at the top of all these events who's doing this for an incredible amount of non-existent money just as a passion project. Yeah. We'll just take yeah. that as a given. <laughs> so assume out of the gate that minimum, minimum 50 to 100 hours of time is spent. And okay. That's not a realistic number for most events, but for, for my events, assume realistically there's somebody who spent 50 to 100 hours of their own time not getting paid to run an event. Um, in terms of, of actual, like, tangible cash flow in and out, I have lost in the neighborhood of multiple thousands of dollars running events. They are not, they are not, not only are they not profitable, they aren't even, like, even in terms of money. It's, it's nothing but a hole that I throw money into to run events. Um, and many times I'm happy to do so, but realistically, you know, you talk about money in and in the, in the online world where you have to be very careful with charging entry fees. Um, you know, my events are ran on cockatrice and you cannot monetize that due to wizards fair use policy. We're allowed to use cockatrice for free, but if you restrict access to wizards IP, with, with a pay gate, with money in front of it, you're in violation of the fair use policies. I cannot tell you how many times I've read that document. <laughs> Try to find a loophole. But you can't do it. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. The, the point is that you can't do it. I can't charge an, an admission fee. If I could, that solves a lot of problems, right? Now you yeah. have a, some reliable amount of income. But as it stands, you know, as a nonprofit, even, as much money as I've been able to recruit for charity, that's, that's great, but it, you know, almost none of it comes to me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
when we did Marquesa, for example, all the donations had a split. So we got some money to go to the prize pool and we got some money to go to charity and we got some money to go towards us. And almost all of the money that came towards us was spent paying for the PayPal fees to send all the prize support out to the people. <laughs> like, there's, it's, really, it's really not that much that, that comes into my, into my, my coffers, as it were, um, in terms of events. And it's actually a, a big part of the reason that I'm not sure how many more events I'll be able to run because it's, again, it's, it's kind of a pit I throw money into. Yeah. The... And, and I mean, like, I feel like, I feel like this is sort of, it's not really the dark side, but it's like a side of, especially like, um, smaller user base, uh, game tournaments or like events that doesn't get brought up a whole lot. I, because I know, like, I know, um, just like the other competitive thing that I know the most about TOing, even though like I'm not super involved, is like the Super Smash Bros. Melee community. And I know that like a lot of those tournaments also run at a loss like year over year. And it's just like the passion of the head TO or like whoever's hosting the event. Um who like and the, even then like they charge entry fee in those tournaments and a lot of the time they're still running at a loss just to run these tournaments as a passion project. And I I, I feel like a lot of people um who are in these hobbies and like even entering tournaments and like entering tournaments consistently like don't know that or just like don't get that that like a lot of these things are run at a loss and like people aren't really profiting off of it so cfb las vegas happened last weekend as of this recording right yep i guarantee you money channel fireball lost multiple thousands if not tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars running the event what they what they made is you know really what they're doing is they're creating a vendor hall for people to sell their products oh yeah and they're building a brand i mean it's, it, yeah it's i was about to say it, it comes out of the marketing budget to run these events right like for any like larger company that's running events like it's all this all comes out of in some way or another maybe not directly coming out of the marketing budget but it's under the marketing umbrella like it's it's money yes. dedicated to building the brand and raising awareness of the brand right exactly and so this for is... go ahead matt i was gonna say um in kind of a broad sense i mean what is what's the brand you're trying to build all these tournaments so that's that's the question i'm asking myself so one of the things obviously talking about cash flow and i had a i had a really really awesome conversation with um ryan from playing with power because obviously the playing with power brand is one of the biggest ones in our you know our sub sub community that is that is the cdh community yeah and so i i you know essentially asked him i was like do you how do you guys make money like how do you justify the time like we talked a bit about Patreon. Obviously, there's some element of that. Um, different types of crowdfunding. The big money maker in my domain, obviously, as as a nonprofit, is sponsorships. Yep. If you have a you know a visible brand, if, you know we run a, a an event on Twitch and we receive 400 viewers, you know concurrent viewers over the course of it or during the finals or whatever it may be, that's some amount of of marketing publicity and visibility that brands are willing to pay to put their logo on. And that's how you make money. The, the, real, the real problem here is that I hate doing that. Like, mm. I love running events, but I hate sending cold call emails to corporations asking them to give me money. That's, that's not <laughs> nearly as much fun. <laughs> but that's the side of business. 
that I would have to operate under. If I, you know, if I wanted to make this my job, right? Hypothetically, if I yep. wanted to do this full time, that is a core fundamental component of my business and there's no escaping that. Do you, do you think that it would be worth it to look for, um, like a volunteer partnership manager, if that's the case, like if you're maybe not for you or anything like that, um, not asking like hard question there specifically, but more like if somebody's going to get into this, like, do you think that having like a partnerships manager is a valuable thing to like get the ball rolling on that kind of stuff and like get the advertising dollars in? So, I mean, short answer is absolutely yes. It's, you know, the question is, is what are you trying to do? What's your mm. goal? If your goal is to make this a job, if your goal is to, to live off of something like this, you need to make yourself the biggest brand, right? You need your business model. You need, you know, thousands of viewers for every stream. That, and you have to stream regularly. You have to have tons of Twitch subs. You need to have a community manager who helps build and engage in content creation, right? When you talk about events, you again, events are basically marketing for a brand, for a business, and that business is a Twitch stream or a YouTube stream or, or a Facebook stream, I guess. Like, you know, that's your, <laughs> yeah. that's your, your core business model is... A billy is, Billy stream, sure, whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah being, I feel like the demographic for CDH does not necessarily align with Facebook. <laughs> Dude, I, 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 don't, I right. don't know what you're talking about. The Facebook CDH group, just <laughs> moi. <laughs> Only the spiciest takes on the Facebook CDH group. <laughs> but that's the thing, right? Like you, your core business model is streaming. It's not running events. And that's the, that's the, the you know, the, the, um, that's what I'm looking for, the inconsistency between what my passion is and what my skill set is and what a viable business model looks like. And so it's, it's really tough for me to be in this position here where I, I know that I essentially can never make this my day job because I wouldn't want to do the things that I would need to do. If I had somebody who did, you know, if I had somebody who, who had the, the knowledge and the passion and the desire to be the biggest CEDH brand that exists and wanted to champion that and work towards it and volunteer their time, awesome. I will run as many events as they need. But I don't have that person. And I haven't been able to find that person. Mm. I think a big problem is that the people who have the knowledge and the skill set and the desire to do that are already doing it. There's already a playing with power. There's already an into the north. There's already a play to win. There's already a mind sculptors. Like these are the people who are doing that thing. And so I have to ask myself, am I going to find a Ryan? Am I going to find a sick robot? Am I going to find a Callahan who wants to, you know, champion or, or work towards the, the media structure in this way? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it just like it just I really hope you do. It's it. It just seems like, yeah, it's it's something that you just have to really hope for. And I mean, I hope one thing that I do hope is that the over, like the explosive growth of the CDH community can help out with that, because like, obviously, the more people we have in the community, the like wider skill sets that the general community has and like the more that people are willing to put into this stuff. But yeah, I mean, like, as yeah, it's, I mean, that's the downside of um trying to build something like this on the relatively small community that cdh is right now right is that like there's 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 only so many people that you can look for it's yeah it's not like we're pulling you know pulling from a pool of the 50 best content creators to ever live on the planet i don't have a mr beast <laughs> right like yeah like even like i i i 
thought you were going to say, but also, like, it's not like we're even pulling from a pool of, like, 50,000 people even too right like it's, <laughs> yeah, that, it's that's like also, that's also true right like we're we're pulling from a pool of like I don't, like maximum ten thousand in like actual people that care about cdh and aren't just like watching content right so yeah and like that that's like Anything a hard about... upper bound so <laughs> that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, mean, I mean probably the number of people who have either even just entered a tournament or participated in the organization of one is I, I would be surprised if it's actually in the quadruple digits. Even. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, We're a small just, little community. Like, but it's great. Maybe, maybe it's just a waiting game, right? Like, maybe, maybe we just have to wait for more people to come in and just like buy time a bit, or like try to push CDH content more to get more people involved, so that we can actually like turn this kind of stuff into like something sustainable. I don't know. Or maybe we just have to push yeah. even harder and you just need to work 40-hour days and put in more work. Who knows? <laughs> Shoot. Yeah, you're right. 40-hour days. That's. Yeah. I think that's the issue. Is I'm yeah. not, there's not enough hours in the day. If only there were more. <laughs> uh, so I could volunteer even more of my time. Yeah, I think that's one of the other things that's cool about this community, though, is that it's very, very hard for people to you know steal viewers from someone else. Like we're not in a position oh, where, yeah, no. oh, you know, into the North Pole of a podcast. I guess that means I'm never watching anything playing with power does ever again. <laughs> like that, that just doesn't happen. That's just not. I don't know what you're talking about. We're we're stealing every viewer from every other <laughs> content group yeah. and every release an episode. Definitely not and, struggling and to get is, monetized on YouTube. Okay, or if anything. we're stealing viewers from other people, we're not doing a very good <laughs> yeah, job. <exactly. laughs> yeah, and the other thing too is like. You, you know, there's there's only so many hours each person has in a day to consume content. And yep. they will, of course, find and gravitate towards the ones they like the most. But even just having those viewers that choose their favorites means that there is more space available for people to do other things, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah. <laughs> um... Cool. I mean, so yeah. So I mean, unless you have anything else to um, talk about on that front, or Matt, uh, Morgan, do you have any like additional questions there? Um, cool. Uh, so I think yeah. Just like moving on a bit. Um, so we we do have a section here. Um, I actually do want to get into this right now, but I, I I'm gonna put an earmark on after this topic for a mini set of questions that I have. Anyway, getting into sure. this uh, sort of subtopic. Um. So, let's say we've done all the right setups. Somehow we managed to run a cash flow positive event. Who knows? It's a miracle. It happened. We had like a hundred people enter. Um, everything went relatively smoothly. Let's say, um, no huge hiccups. Um, what hap what happens after an event? Because <laughs> I guarantee you, nobody thinks about this one. People people might have thought about like what happens like before an event. Like how do they get this together? I guarantee you, nobody has actually ever like considered what happens after an event. Well, first you have to sweep up all the pack wrappers. <laughs> oh the yeah, that's, that's probably <laughs> the most tedious part. Yeah, the uh, of course there's the more manual or menial tasks: the cleaning up packs, picking up trash you know, closing down the store or the venue or whatever it may be, right? There's those, those components which absolutely do exist, um, but I've been mostly insulated from at this point. The things that I more think about post-event is, you know, and this, this I think has a little bit more to do with, um, you know, leadership and 
being a positive force and i guess maybe being a positive boss i guess i i don't particularly like the word because you can't really be the boss of somebody you don't pay but the the quote-unquote you know person in charge of the um of the team that's that's sort of ran the event after tier one for example i sat down for about an hour with each of my judges and i talked about you know, essentially debrief the event what were the wins what were the things that you saw that were frustrating what were the things that you struggled with when you have a bird's eye view you will see big picture problems but when you are not on the ground you will miss the intricate and little details that stick with the players each each player is you know insulated in a bubble essentially of their own experience and as a to i can sit back and look at the organizational things right so like for me coming out of marquesa the biggest thing on my mind was the fact that my platform crashed three times in 60 minutes, right? Like that, that was my takeaway as a, as a bird's eye view of a TO. But how were the interactions with the judges? How was the interaction with the staff? Were you able to find your seats all right? How were the quality of your games? Did you play against good people? Did you have good experience with the judges when you called them? Those are the questions that I don't have the answer to. But I know people who do. The players and the staff. And so... As a, as a leader and as a champion of events, you, and if you have the desire to continue to grow, if you have the desire to continue to learn and to get better, the most valuable thing you can do is set aside time after each event to talk to every person who was a part of it. And of course, send out a Google poll to everybody to let them know to give you feedback on how their event was. But and give them the take that coupon and... for next thing. Oh my god! You send out a send out a survey after an event and give people a a chance at a raffle for a buy for the next tournament. Guarantee you'll get feedback. <laughs> yeah, well, it's you, I've actually never had any issues with getting feedback. I get you know in the neighborhood of thirty to fifty responses on each that, of them, which that is, is like, actually incredible. That's yeah. a ton. Yeah, yeah compared it's, to the amount uh, of entry. Yeah, never, never, and, and to be fair, I mean that's still like you know that's twenty to twenty five percent. Which is a lot in terms yeah, of feedback. In CTR, so. yeah, that's insane. <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually been really nice. I have a, a lot of people. One of the cool things about the CDH community is that if you play in CDH events, you probably care a lot about that. <laughs> yeah. So I, I get a lot of feedback. Cool. Yeah. And people also, you know, you give, you know, there, and there's an art to survey writing that I won't bother to go into, but you want to give people an opportunity to spend two minutes of their time doing the survey and put no bound on the amount of time that they can choose to spend on the survey. So you, you set the floor nice and low, so people who just want to show up press, you know, one, 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 bad experience, submit. And they can submit their survey and their feedback that way, but you provide boxes and opportunities for people to really dive deep into the things that you need to know about or you need to hear about. Awesome. In terms of... I, I generally just... Press, press all ones and slam enter. <laughs> yeah. Always for freaking Nick. <laughs> that guy. Yeah. In terms of like, you know, dealing with the staff themselves, right? And talking with the judges. That's why I literally spent, you know, I sat down with each of my judges after tier one and talk about the wins. You talk about the loses. You talk about the things you want to see change. I think something people miss when they do feedback, things like that, is they talk a lot about the things that they want to change, but they will often miss noting the things that were successes. And I always want to do, I always try to do successes first because it's easy to get caught up in like, ah, oh, yeah, this sucked or this sucked or this sucked. And you don't take the opportunity to sort of appreciate how much has grown since the last event or how much has grown since 12 hours ago when the event started, right? 
it's it's really really important that the people who do work especially if they're working for free i mean if they're paid to to some extent you can do whatever you want because like that's your reward for showing up (laughs) but if, if you're working with volunteers it's very very important that you give people an opportunity to not not only learn to, to grow as individuals, to, to grow as leaders. You know, if I have a, a stream manager, I want that stream manager to tell me what they learned from the event and what they gained and what skills they acquired or perspectives that they learned from. And that's how you grow the scene. That's how you grow tournament organizers, right? I don't have people that show up to my tournaments to, to be a TO for me and walk away having learned absolutely nothing. If that's if that happened, then I've failed. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, it, it, like it's it's a constant process of improvement, right? Like, there's there's never going to be an event that goes 100 percent to plan, and you always have to have takeaways. Not yet. <laughs> uh, we'll see. I'm Maybe, working on it. Like, I'm trying. I'm trying so hard. 2031 or something. We'll get there eventually. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, yeah. The 20xx version of a CDH tournament. There's yeah, no exactly. flaws and no game goes over 90 minutes. And somehow we never had to do any buys, and everybody was happy yeah, with no. everybody else in their pod, and there was never any potential spite plays being made. In fact, there were never any judge calls at all. <laughs> it just went yeah. perfectly to plan. <laughs> the 20xx judges are, are now obsolete yep <laughs> uh, we have a robo yeah, good luck deciding on some rules that somehow prevent people from going past 90 minutes <laughs> we've come up Everybody, with yeah, yeah, we've the t- come up with a perfect tie breaking system and we've come up with the perfect turn system as well uh, and, and the perfect, the perfect orb, static uh, orb, all top whatever breaking system yeah. and playoffs <laughs> Which definitely has no room for subjective opinion Not on what's the best way to structure it. I think that the best way to structure it is um, playing 50 more games. I think that would be really good mm. in terms of figuring out who's the best. Oh, player. okay. No, no. That's that's actually what's happened. Is Agreed? That, is that the, the Earth's rotation at this point has slowed down so much that days are actually <laughs> longer so we could fit more games in over the weekend. <laughs> and, yeah, you get more time to plan this thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hey, win-win. Two months, of, two months of lead time. You got all the time <laughs> in the world. All it, just, it just takes giant rockets, you know? Going against the rotation of the earth that's all okay, just special relativity <laughs> joking spends five years in a hyperbolic time chamber planning the next event and comes out only like a month in the real world <laughs> marquesa 2080 yeah uh, a, a best best of seven. First to seven <laughs> wins in each pod is allowed to uh move on in oh quadruple God. elimination format <laughs> I, the, see, the funny thing is, is that my admittedly limited but non-zero experience playing best of end rounds is that they're awful. Yeah, I, <laughs> like it's. I, I feel like people suggest that all the time. Like, oh, it shouldn't be. You shouldn't just have your like your you know semifinals pod play a game, but like having first of all having them play five games takes literally forever but but even if it didn't like those five games get so fucky oh so yeah. fast i just like if if you guys both remember from nsl because i'm assuming this is part of what you're basing that opinion on morgan it's definitely yeah. a part of it yeah but it's not the only one no yeah is... but it's just like oh it's it's so yeah it gets so weird and so bad so quickly <laughs> i spent think... like 20 minutes making these like just absurd deals that were like 
Okay, how about we don't lose this game right here, right now, but then you won't win and you have to tutor this. And it's just like, because you have a win and I don't, so I want to try and get my win and then we can play another game. And it's... it's I'm still yeah. thoroughly triggered from <laughs> it that. It got unbelievably toxic at points. <laughs> I really like that tournament organizers are willing to try those new things. I think that that's one of the strengths as a as a bigger TO, right? If I want to run an experimental event or an experimental format, it's of a of a higher risk than somebody who's got a smaller base, right? So I love the idea that there are TOs out here who will take on the opportunity to try these things out to prove that they either you know do or don't work. Um, in terms of of speaking specifically to best of two or first to two. I think that doing a fixed number of games in within a given pod, like four, for example, is is potentially doable. Um, the the problem is just how weird four player free for all is, and I I honestly want to look into like what Catan does, right? Because they have the same problem that we do, where there's yeah. a turn order that matters, and it's a four player free for all, and they have the same you know set of multiplayer constraints that we do. I don't I don't know of many other analogies or or games that follow that same functionality. I mean, even like you know, battle royales have some sort of, you know, segmentation in first through, you know, 99th or whatever. Yeah, it is, and, it, it, really and it's also like there's CDH less, like, there's no turn order in those, like, games. And you could, yeah. like, it's distributed over, like, a way larger number of teams as well. Like, I feel like being, like, four-person free-for-all specifically is really awkward because... 1v1 is really well defined and really like easy to find formats for and if you have like a very large number of people playing free for all then things are like less toxic and it's just sort of like less personal but specifically like low person but more than two people free for all gets like really weird in terms of tournament structuring yeah. you ever tried to play a six person cdh game those politics are nasty so we have and it's also the worst part about that was that i'm pretty sure it was matt on opus thief which like in like way oh, more God. than any other deck at the table benefits from having more people in the game <laughs> nice oh no Dude, i don't know i don't know what you're saying man long games once you get to like the three hour mark everyone is set together to finish the game no matter how that's the opposite of my experience. People, you know, you get to the the two hour mark, and people are like, yeah, and I, just I have a counter spell. I don't want to cast anymore. Just, just win, please." <laughs> okay, so I did uh, those. Yeah, I did want to go for it. I, I did want to get to um, sort of as like our last major topic here. Uh, we sort of touched on it before. Um, so this is after the post event, getting into pre-event for the next next like event um we'll yeah. we'll talk about this in terms of uh talk about this in terms of march has a 2022 i guess um yeah. since that would be the next event that you would be running if it happens to happen if it happens terrible happen. yeah, terrible there's a lot of, there's a lot of anyway. question marks i have to uh um a lot of question marks i need answers to but so how do you I guess the question here is, how do you then turn the experience of the previous tournament into a new tournament? And also, how the hell do you figure out, like, when you actually have the mental recharge time to go and run another one? I, so, I feel like those are the two big ones. Yeah. So once you've done your first event, you have a really good sense of doing the second one. In my, my experience, at least, personally. Um, there's more question marks for Marquesa 2022. 
because of course it would be in person as opposed to online. So there's some more questions there, but the tier one experience helped a lot with, you know, setting aside a lot of those more tangible in-person concerns um, and giving me that sort of experience. The, the big thing that you talked, you mentioned there briefly that I think I, I can't necessarily, I can't speak enough on is the mental recharge time. Um, I no, it will differ for every person, obviously. Um, it will differ on the amount of hours you do and how many people are on your team. But I have a I have a problem, an individual problem that I refuse to to do something that isn't like the best possible way that I could do it. I either will not do it at all, or I will do it to the point where it's as good as I could feasibly or realistically make it. And that frequently results in me severely overworking myself. Um, it's it's I mean for to, I mean for Oktoberfest this year, for example, I was up at like 5 a.m. the day of the event, and I didn't go to bed until like 3 a.m. to get up at 5 a.m. the next day, or 6 a.m. the next day. And like, that's, I don't know, what, a 20-something, it was like a 20-something hour day followed immediately by another 14-hour day. And it was like, I could have gone to bed, but there was things that I wanted to get done that didn't need to get done, but that I wanted to get done that I would not have been happy with unless I had gotten done that night. And so... You have to be, especially as somebody who who is very passionate and very driven to do a, to do a good job. I need to remember to step back and take time for myself. Right? I, I'll give you guys some perspective on this. You know, looking at the summer, um, July, June, July, August. So July, I made a little schedule here because I wanted to pull up the dates. So the three three middle weekends in July, I ran Summer Bloom. I took a week off. Then I ran the Mox Bowl, and then I flew to Denmark and ran Tier One, and then I flew back and ran the Playing With Power tournament. And then two weeks later, I ran Memories Journey. And then three weeks later, I ran Oktoberfest. And, you know, I, I am about to finish my degree. So, you know, I've, I've got two weeks left, essentially, in, in my semester to finish out my degree. And the only reason I'm taking classes this term is because I failed them over the summer. Like, I failed university-level courses that I, you know, I had been paid for because I was running events. I, I had to call my parents and say, hey, I'm failing these classes in university, but I'm getting flown to Denmark. Is that okay? <laughs> and like, people don't realize what that, I mean, not, you know, I, I understand I'm very fortunate. I'm in university. My parents helped me pay for it. I've got lots of opportunities. I'm, I am not for a second complaining about having the opportunity to, to go to Denmark to run a magic event. It's one of the best experiences I've ever had. I'm quite young. Lots of, lots of great stuff. But I mean, it comes at a personal cost to run this many events to this scale, to this, to this degree, it comes at a personal cost. And I have to look at the next four months of my life and think, do I want to spend between five and 10 hours a week for the next six, you know, for the next four months to plan this event and to run this event. And like I do, but I also know how I felt at the end of October. And I'm thinking, yeah, if I feel like that again, I don't, I don't really want to spend two, you know, two whole weeks in a, in a dark pit of a hole after burning myself out on these, this insane schedule with all of these events back to back to back to back. So, uh, you know, for people running smaller events, you know, be realistic, understand the scope of what you're trying to do. The more pieces you add, the more time you'll add and stuff like that. But there's, you know, for me personally, there's a lot of things like that that people don't don't realize or don't see. That I, I mean, 
and again, personal flaws aside, you know, I'll, I'll work myself into the ground in a way that other people are probably smart not to, but that just comes with me doing stuff the way that I want it done. I mean, I've been, I've been running events for a year. Right? I've been in this business for, le- you know, one year and, and a month now because I helped on the first Oktoberfest last year. That's it. I have one and a, you know, one and a quarter, you know, month, one, one year, one month worth of experience, and I've ran three of the four largest EDH events of all time. Like, that's what it takes to do an event like that. So you have to decide, you know, what's, what's it worth to you. I think the I hardest part is... Sorry. Sorry, go ahead. Go, go ahead. I mean, I think the hardest part is kind of why or the difference between the work that you're doing for these, you know, passion tournaments versus like your day job, right? You work so yeah, hard I don't get on paid these. For this. You don't get paid, but you work so hard on these projects because you're passionate, and it's kind of like your in some in some ways it's your break, and obviously in some ways it's it it's not right. It's causing yeah. your burnout, and that's that's a tough line. I was just going to say, talking about your your schedule, that uh, another thing that that becomes a lot harder about in-person versus online tournaments is that with in-person tournaments, people tend to want to do stuff after the day (laughs) ends. And uh, it it can sometimes mean you're not in the best shape for the next morning. (laughs) I mean, I was playing a game with you and, and Ian and Yanis in the bar. Um, I think, and I just started misplaying, like, oh, I just, like, made three or four misplays in a row, I missed my Ristic triggers, it's because I was falling asleep at the table, like, I literally <laughs> could not keep my eyes open trying to play Magic that day. I have been making good plays hours. all day, but in the tournament organizer grind. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to come across that I'm complaining, right, that it was an awesome weekend, I loved going out and doing it. But it is it is a lot of work, and it's it's actually pretty funny. The day of, the day after Oktoberfest, like the you know right at the the end of the event or something, I had gotten that somebody had made some comment about you know Tio's being lazy. It's a lazy format, something like that. And I was just like, yeah, I you know I get it. Like, sure, you're welcome to criticize, but that's there are many things that are true, and that's just not one of them. It's there was nothing. I really don't think there was anything lazy about the the days and the and the hours and time that I put into this event. So it's, it's sometimes tough to get that kind of feedback, but. Just remember to save the VODs and then, and then <laughs> everyone will think you're competent. That's right. Uh, 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 <laughs> Actually, I, I, I don't know I, what, I will say if, what you're talking about. If anybody, if any aspiring TO wants to take anything away from this podcast that isn't any of the incredibly <laughs> important advice that we've been dispensing over the past hour and a half, save your VODs. <laughs> because that is actually such a plight of like the entire cdh tournament scene at this point is like we have we have vods for probably under half of all the events ever run in terms of in terms of effort to perception of professionalism that's definitely the the most value you can get (laughs) uh cool um I actually, I think that was a pretty great um, stopping off point. Um, what a great message at the end there. Um, yeah. So, I think that about does it for our main topic. Um, so, thank you so much, Joking. We're still going to have you on for the rest of this, but I'm thanking you now because that was um, incredibly informative. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, and it's, it's, I, it, that's just something that we don't, 
like it's not something that gets talked about in like any scene that much is like the actual behind yeah. the scenes and like life of a tournament organizer when they're running these tournaments so it's it's awesome to life i don't have a life man. What are you talking about? <laughs> all i do is run events it's awesome to be able to get a peek behind the veil um on that stuff so that's great that being said we are going to move into everybody's favorite topic favorite segment get check I feel like I need to get a Morgan time. gut check right now. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Matt, do the thing. <laughs> oh, God, it's so bad, guys. All right. But it's something. <laughs> it's something. So what, in your mind, is the best gummies ever served at a tournament? I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> what is, in your mind, the fourth best combo? In the format right now, fourth best combo. Good question. You want to tell me what the you tell me what the first three are? No, you, no, you no, have no, to no. figure. Don't those even out. talk you about your to, first you three. Have those, okay. You have to figure those out, and then we're, we're talking about the fourth. In your opinion, All right. yeah. All right. I'm trying to create division and yeah. answers here. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, yeah, I got it. I think we all know what one is, yeah, but I got it. Uh, all right, can you? All right, I didn't actually can... prepare a response for this, so I do have to think about it. What what do you can you can you define combo? Uh, a combination consistently of uh, cards that wins the game. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> like on the spot. I was gonna well, say okay. something like that. Like is yeah. is ad nauseum a combo? No, 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 no. Something that like actually no. like ends the game. Okay. Yeah, it's not not fourth okay, be okay. best win condition. Fourth fourth best combo. Okay, but like certainly we're counting infinite. Mana. Yeah, yeah, like infinite mana stuff. Like, like yeah, yeah. Yep. But yeah. yeah. Okay. Fourth best. Oh, jeez. Oh, actually, I have a second good Does... one that I'll read off first because I haven't gotten <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't gotten enough mileage off of this yet, so I'm <laughs> going to put it out there and then I'll get my real one. <laughs> All right. We'll give... You know, we'll make this a real gut check. You guys have 10 more seconds. <laughs> and then we'll lock it in. Okay, I have one that's kind of a cheat all right and maybe i'll, I'll okay we'll 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 in, we'll, case, we'll, in case it's disqualified. we'll have nick go last so that he has a bit more time matt what you got no i i have to start yeah <laughs> you you gave it actually i guess we can okay we'll we'll do you last uh yeah, nick, I can, you nick want, can go through here, i'll go, I'll go first right, go how about it. that because yeah. i'll have the i'll have probably the spiciest right. the spiciest combo uh i think and again maybe this is maybe this doesn't qualify but i'm gonna say that a Najila, the Najila combo. Najila and Derevi or Najila and Nature as well as the fourth Ooh, best combo. That's, that's a good one. That is a good one. I dig it. Uh, in that case, actually, so what's what's the three above that in, in your opinion then? Oh, the, th the three above Wait, that. Wait, no, no, let's, let's all Fine. say we'll do three above can, after we, we all do it. All right, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll save that for another time then. All right, Morgan, what you got? Uh, I was, so... Does Razakef count? Ah, uh, sure. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll allow Razakef. Yeah, in my mind, Razakef like, counts. Like it technically just enables like what's usually a Thoracal combo, but no, Razakef's fine. Makes sense. Um, so the meme ants. Wait, is that it? Or is that a... wait? That's your fourth? Yeah. 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 Okay. Um. So, Meme Answer is the Yorian combo, because it's hot as fuck and is incredibly annoying to disrupt. <laughs> I don't know, man. That kind of sounds like the best combo right now. <laughs> just, just, 
top of the list. You're it's also just not really a combo. Good. It is a like, combo. It not a good people can see to it. It's a combo. Okay. That's... <laughs> it just has an incredibly variable number of pieces, and the only consistent part of it that's is That's like Yorian. saying Seedborn uses a combo. <laughs> I mean, honestly, Yorian just Seedborn uses hard enough that the rest of the table concedes, so I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh... That's okay. No, that actually, I guess it's like saying Seedborn Muse and training. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think my actual answer right now is actually probably Hulk. I think Hulk's like still incredibly well positioned against a lot of the rule of law stuff currently, um, and doesn't see enough play that is a great answer i was actually going to say hulk uh, as well. yeah, i'm really it. happy i'm really happy that you didn't rank hulk higher <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah right <laughs> um do you have a backup or you just gonna slam hulk too i'm slamming hulk right. too yeah I, it was a debate. It was a debate between Hulk and Isorev, but I think yeah, I, also Isorev is incredibly underrated right now, just because it layers so it, nicely. Like, it is. Uh, it, uh, this isn't the underrated gut check, but it is. Quite yeah, good. dramatic reversal is just like such a good card, and nobody plays it for some reason. Anyway, <laughs> I guess because it doesn't synergize explicitly with Dark also co colorless Nas payoffs. Kind yeah, of good. yeah, that too. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, that's fair. All right, well, let's gut check. So, all right, yep. What, what's well, your number what, one, guys? What's up, Nick? Yeah. What is the what is everybody's top three? I mean, so number one is clearly uh, console birthing card. Oh yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tied um, closely with Yorian lines. I think yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's I think it's I think it's like it's console then breach uh, and then like any number yeah. of other things. Um, I think I don't know. For me, it's probably. I mean, I think dockside combos yeah. are are. I like, I had that in mind. They're they're not. It's not like a particularly great combo. It's just that Dockside it's, it's is like so such free. an insane it's so card. Free. Yeah. That like just putting one card to enable it in your deck is like such a such a small ask, and yeah. often the requirements aren't actually even that high. Um, yeah. I kind of had I kind of had Dockside though in a similar spot to um, Adnan's just. Like the dedicated dockside combos, I haven't been super impressed with, mm. or at least yeah. the decks that have them haven't been super impressive. But it's usually because the dedicated dockside combo decks are non-black, or as the ones that I see. Yeah. I, I think yeah, my I was... answer for third would actually probably be Najila. I, I think it's probably like the third best right now. Anyway, I yeah. definitely had dockside in mind, and I was thinking about it, but I'm like dockside Emil, dockside Baron, just are feel underwhelming. Um, I, I definitely have Entomb Reanimate or Entomb slash, you know, Unmarked Grave. Basically, you know, essentially Reanimation is the, as my number yeah, three sure. best combo. Yeah. Which is somewhat That's generalized. My as well. I, I guess I, I struggle with rating Najila that highly as a combo. Just like, I think it's at least somewhat telling that other than, I mean, I guess the Sisse builds have played it, but like, it's not a card that, or it's not a combo that like anyone has ever really thought I'll just jam this right, even though it's like two cards 99. and relatively mana efficient. Even though it's like it's two cards, they're both creatures, therefore very accessible. Like I think a combination of I guess I guess what it is is as a combo. If you're not playing a Najila deck, those like two free setup turns that you typically use, where like where you want to go to combat with like Najila and two warriors, right? Yeah, that. You don't get those when right when you have to find not, the Najila. when Najila's not in the yeah. game. Yeah, 
Like, if you just tutor in Najila, people will be like, well, I guess we have to kill that. Because but why like, did he tutor in? <laughs> the other, and yeah, the then other we're done, having, we can move on. The other problem with having them in the 99 is that you have to play a five-color deck, and your card quality is already so high. You already have access to all of the other combos that we just listed, right? Like, you just have to, sure, are you yeah. really going to choose to play that one as an alternative? Yeah, I guess, yeah. I, I, and it's the only deck I could think of that's really seen it is the, the like, Sysagigantha build, but yeah. that's obviously, you're limited, like, you can't play better combos because uh, you, like, you can't play Oracle, obviously. Gigantha limits what you can play, um, and you also have, you can tutor, it's, like, tutorable from the command zone. Um, but, yeah. Like the fact the fact that even like the like Kenrith stacks builds that want a rule of law resistant creature based win condition and also null rod resistant and also based win do condition. things under possibility storm lock hilariously like <laughs> yeah have <laughs> like those decks have have haven't even really considered yeah. it as a combo that's fair. Cool. Well, that's our gut check for today. Uh, again, as always, um, we have voting up for these in our uh, Discord at time of release. So go check that out. Go vote. Um, go vote on previous ones after you listen to those episodes. Or just vote on them. <laughs> Stand alone. Do it. Go engage, please. <laughs> um, <laughs> but with that, I think that's about it for this episode. Um Actually, I, I will say before we end, uh, joking, is there anything that you want to uh, shill um, before we sign off here officially? Um, yeah, sure. Um, of course, I, you know, I run the organization Monarch Events, so feel free to check us out on Discord and stay tuned for any uh, upcoming events we might be doing. I, uh, I don't know if we'll be doing a paper event in March of 2022, but if we do, make sure to be there because <laughs> it would be, it'll be an awesome event, I assure you of that. Awesome. Um, well, that does about wrap it up for this episode. Um, if you guys would like to reach out to us with any questions, comments, or concerns, you can always contact us on Twitter at Into the North Pod, via our email at Into the North Podcast at gmail.com, or on our Discord server. The invite link for which can be found in the description for this episode. Uh, an extra special thanks to all of the patrons who help cover the expenses for our show and allow us to work toward improving the quality of the podcast. If you, too, would like to become a patron, we are at patreon.com slash into the north podcast. Another way you can support us is via our TCG Player affiliate link. Anytime you want to purchase something from TCG Player, you can use our affiliate link, which is also in the description of this episode. A portion of your purchase goes towards supporting the podcast. Thank you, as always, to the band Vox Cadre for our lovely podcast music, to Nate Slubber for our equally lovely podcast logo, and to our video editor, Manta Ray Hat. Next episode will be out in two weeks. Until then, see ya. Bye.